Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is Tom Marvin. I'm a senior technical editor here at BikeRadar.com and MBUK Magazine as well. Joining me in the podcast studio today are two of our mountain bikers. First up, we've got Nicholas Clark. He's a tech writer over on BikeRadar.com. How are you getting on, Nick? Really good, thanks, Tom. Excellent stuff. And we also have Tom Law. He is the mountain bike presenter on Bike Radar's YouTube channel. How are you getting on, Tom? Yeah, really good, thanks, mate. Excellent stuff. Have you created any lovely videos for our YouTube channel recently? Yeah, we had a great MBUK opinions piece with Will. So that was on uh, transmissions and the death of the derailleur hangar, Ooh. which linked back nicely to our SRAM T-Type launch yeah. as well, which is a big launch for this year. So yeah, lots of stuff going on with that as well. We've got some bike views in progress as well. Nice. I noticed you used the word transmissions there, mm. which is uh, a change from the drive. Are we... Explain. Well, SRAM are going down the route of calling the new T-Type transmissions transmissions rather than drivetrains, which has taken a lot of getting used to and a lot of correcting on scripts and reviews and things like that. I imagine uh, for everybody involved. Yeah, why they've decided to do that, not really sure. But we don't want it's, the, uh, it's a holistic system. We don't want the SRAM copter landing on top of Eagle House. Y- yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Beaming erstwhile yeah. uh, Alex Rafferty all the way down to the podcast studio and telling you off. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah, we, it is now a, it's a transmission, not a drivetrain. Yeah, that's what we're going Interesting for. Interesting stuff. Uh, Nick, what have you been writing about? Um, it's been a bit of a boring week for me, mostly. Oh, don't say that! <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually no idea what I've been writing about, though. That's the thing. Can I have a little recap? Um, I know you've been writing about uh, a bike that's on embargo that I nearly mentioned, but I didn't mention because we were uh, not allowed to mention it because it's going up before yeah. the embargo, but that was interesting. Yeah, I've recently been to Spain, <laughs> uh, to Girona, to test out a bike that I'm not allowed to talk about, Yeah, but uh, soon to be... Soon to be on its way. And Excellent. Later in this week, I'm also off to Italy okay. to go and test another bike that, again, I can't talk about. Wow. What a life you lead. Yeah. Lovely stuff. All right. Well, um, we are talking about mountain bike tech innovations. And this follows on from a lovely piece that was on Bike Radar uh, last week, uh, which is the 11 tech innovations that transformed mountain biking, um, written by Finley Anderson, who's one of our contributors. Uh, But we thought we would uh, take his 11 innovations and condense them down to five. Five of what we think are the most important ones. So I I challenged Nick and I challenged Tom to pick two of the 11, and I've picked one for myself. Uh, I get the easy job. because I'm in charge. Uh, so uh, we will start off with Nick. Tell us what you think is the number one tech innovation that has transformed mountain biking. I'm going to go for what, and it's probably fair to say I got first pick. You did. You <laughs> did get the easy choice. <laughs> you first in the yeah. opposite. You were very lucky. Um, I went with dropper post straight away. Wow. Because I think, you know, once you've tried one, you never really want to go back. And I think it's got a relatively interesting history along the way. Oh, go on. Um, Tell us more. So as delving deep as times before me, I am a 2000s baby myself. So 1984 being the first dropper post being released was a was a bit of a shock. <laughs> um, but that was a, a very simple height right system, yes. which used a spring. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but sort of clamps onto the top of the seat collar, goes onto the seat post. Pretty cool, I'd say. They're pretty wild little yeah. things. They, they look like... Um 
Well, they look like a spring, don't they? Tom? Yeah, it's literally just like a, a spring hidden behind the shark. Well, they did do a remote version, which I didn't what? know until recently. Yeah, there was a remote version. I won't mention which site I saw that on because <laughs> it wasn't White Radar. But uh, yeah, they did do a remote version, which basically very sketchy undid the actual seat collar itself. Wow. And then tightened it back up again. How it worked or how reliable it was, I don't know. But yeah, supposedly it was a fully remote version. Yeah, it used like a, a thumb shifter sort of actuation on there. So, uh, so yeah, not only first drop post, but first remote dropper post back they, in the 80s. They look yeah. like a bit of a, an unwound paperclip if you're, if you're, if you're at school mm. in, uh, in your classroom fiddling about with your pencil case and you had a paperclip and you unwound it and, and made a spring. That's kind of what height right looked like. I, I could only agree. <laughs> there we go. Um, carry on, Nick. The yes. So, and then going further deeper into it, it turns out KS having the claim on the actual first dropper post. Really? Yeah. So that's the one, you know, similar to a desk chair, maybe using an air spring, um, which we guess we're more used to. Um, But no, I mean, I I think in terms of using it, and this bike that I'm not allowed to talk about that I was riding the other week, it was a miss. Mm. Um, Again, getting used to riding without it again was very difficult and just constantly getting your your rear end over that rear Mm tyre. You forget how useful that is Mm. Um, and not having to stop although now you think about it, you probably stop at the top of most trails anyway. You do. But if you're racing... Different kettle of fish. I'm, I'm a big. We, we, we were talking about a cross country race bike there um, mm. that we won't talk about, but we will talk about on site soon. And it is probably the only genre of sort of mountain bike now where dropper usage isn't ubiquitous. Mm. Um, along with maybe sub thousand pound bikes. I know I, I've just been looking at a script for the top five sub thousand pound bikes. There's a video that uh, we'll be producing on the video channel soon. But um, yeah, we'll be out by the time the podcast goes ah, live. Perfect. So, so there you we go. That, Make sure you watch that on our YouTube channel. I, I think most of those don't have droppers either because obviously there is a cost involved in the dropper post. Yeah, none of them have dropper posts, mm. actually, there interestingly enough. Yeah, they've got, you know, sort of through axles, even some, you know, like through axles front and rear and yeah. one by drive chains. But yeah, not a single one comes with a, a dropper post. But then it is a relatively easy thing to add nowadays. They you know, are, and yeah. they, they're not expensive like they used to be. Yeah. You Unless you get, go for a reverb axis. Unless you get for the one of those, yeah. yeah. Um, they are like expensive. <laughs> but you can get them for about 100, 100 quid. Yeah. Like yeah. Brand X, brilliant little things, or Trans yeah. X. You know, there's, yeah. there's some great budget options around there. I think we'd all agree that drive, riding without a drop post is a strange, strange feeling these days, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, I've actually ridden with one for longer now than I did without one, which is right. weird when I've been riding for 18 years. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd probably say I'd prefer to ride a rig- a fully rigid bike with, with a dropper. dropper post than the other way around, actually, nowadays. Interesting. Yeah. And in yeah. terms of sort of down the line for the dropper post, I think the new sort of BMC four-stroke with the Ooh, auto, auto up and down, that is pretty sick. That yeah. is pretty cool. That just seems, for me anyway, like the ultimate development. Yeah. yeah. Well, our own Rachel Bennett has tested a BMC four-stroke with an auto drop drop post, and yeah. she said it was good. Yeah. And the Maridas that you and Rob have been They have an interesting dropper post, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they have a infinite adjustable dropper, so you can adjust it yourself. Obviously, there's a few drop posts out there. So Canyon's own um, drop post does that. It gives you 25 mil of adjustment in five mil increments, and there's one up. One. one up. Thank you. Yeah, they do that as yeah. well. The Merida one uses a rather clunky system, which I believe I, I've heard on the grapevine is being refined, which you would expect. Um, but it gives you the option to change the drop on your dropper between 30 and 230 millimeters. So hold 200 mil of adjustment on your dropper post. It's pretty cool. Yes, yeah, nice, nice new dot system. I haven't ridden it yet, but yeah, I'm intrigued to try that out because it, I mean, does, it does look good. Works like a drop post, yeah. but uh, <laughs> you can just adjust how much drop it's got. 
Um, in in the gravel world, obviously, drop posts are becoming more and more popular. Although I had a drop post, I had an access drop post on my gravel bike for a while, and I took it off. Hmm, I interesting. I didn't really. Um, I just never used it. I never used it, and I just mm. wiggle. You know, my saddle was wiggling underneath my bum when I was pedaling. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put my rigid one back on. Yeah, but then that one has the sag feature integrated, isn't it? So if you drop it slightly, it does. Yeah, it does have a degree yeah. of travel in there. I mean, that's maybe a discussion for another day. But, yeah, um, definitely. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, what do you think? Do you think enduro racing now would be the same without the dropper post, or do you? Or do I do? Well, maybe the the more ethereal question is: Do you think mountain biking would be different without the dropper post? Yes. Mountain biking would be very different, wouldn't it? I guess with enduro, like the classic, like OG enduro was pedal up a hill, stop at the top, and then ride down a hill. Whereas now, you know, maybe there's a bit more going on with a few more ups and downs. Obviously, like the Meg Avalanche has got a bit of climbing in the middle, and I imagine that's vastly improved by having a yeah. saddle at your right height. Definitely. Um, but yeah, no, I think I, I think I struggle to go back to much mountain biking without a dropper. So I'm doing a cross country bike test soon. None of them have got droppers. Yeah. It was that Scott Spark that we've both ridden mm. that came without a dropper post. And again, like nicking his top secret bike. The bike was really, really good fun to ride, but I just hated not having a dropper on it. It, it found mm. really held the bike back for something that is so capable. It just, yeah, would have been nice to have the dropper on there for sure. Well, there we go. I think we can all agree then that droppers are one of the tech innovations that have transformed mountain biking. Excellent stuff. Thanks, Nick. Tom. Hit us with your first. I'm going to give a one-by drivetrains from Finley's excellent list because, uh, again, I'd much rather have a one-by drivetrain than a lot of the other innovations on the list, actually, okay. just because they're so so simple. Nick is probably too young to remember the days of chainsuck, but <laughs> we're, we're definitely not. Yeah, just in the mud and your chains just horribly dragged into your chain stays and all that kind of thing. And I also think that they, the chainings themselves last longer than than mm. older kind of range, you know, with the narrow white teeth. I mean, my SRAM chaining on my transition is three years old, and like three and a half thousand miles. Wow, yeah. And it's still perfect. I haven't dropped a chain yet. So, and it's still still going along pretty well, which is I never would have done on, mm. on an older style sort of chain ring. So yeah, I think it's 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 a lot simpler for beginners as well. You know, you've only got one lever up or down. It's it's fully sequential, no cross chaining like you would have with a, a front derailleur sort of system. So yeah, for me, it's just it's lighter, simpler, gives bike designers more freedom for suspension and tire clearance. So yeah, I'd much rather have a one by drivetrain than say twenty nine inch wheels, for example. Mm-hmm. That's an Well, I mean, I guess the the twenty nine inch wheel and the one by drive trains are almost symbiotic. Yeah, they, yeah, you kind of can't really have the geometry that we have with the modern twenty nine without having twenty inch long sort of you know mm. four sixty mil chain stays. You wouldn't have it without a one by system. You know, with having that say that clearance in there or even wider rear hub standards. Yeah, rather than super boost. So yeah, definitely think that they they do have a very symbiotic relationship. What's your take on the release of this new classified mountain bike two speed rear hub? Don't really see the point of it from a mountain bike side of things. I think on the road side of things, which I think you've got a wheel set to try on your gravel bike, mm-hmm. I believe. I can see the appeal of it in that side of things. But having had a little bit of time on the new T-type transmission, I don't really see what benefits you're going to have because I don't want to sound like a pay show for SRAM, but everybody in the YouTube comment says that I am. Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely, for me, a, a big step forward over anything else. So... It's an interesting idea, but I don't, I don't see it catching on in the mountain bike world anyway. I think we're we're getting on towards the full gearbox will 
catch on more than I mean that that is something that has been said for about oh I don't know 25, 25 years, years yeah, maybe and it never actually has I think no. we can put gearboxes to bed for mountain biking as much as that might incite some mm-hmm. hate I just I used to own a Rollhoff uh, I, I ran it for four years while I was at uni in a bid to uh, save myself money on drivetrain components and I, I just rode single speeds instead yeah yeah because um, I tell you what though I've always wanted to put a roll off on a dirt jump bike Imagine that. Well, Cruise to the park. Imagine that. It would destroy any <laughs> yeah, sort of like... Destroy. Straight away, tearing cogs apart. <laughs> oh, it'd be horrible for your handling. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I thought that classified thing might be interesting because you could, if you could run it as a dingle speed, oh, now yeah. as a, a committed single speed lover, for that. Yeah. <laughs> class, it'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. You know, you got your, your gear for going down a hill, your gear for going uphill, two speeds, mm. electronic shifting, bish, bash, bosh, easy way. Yeah. That for me is a dream. Yeah. Video for next year then. Yeah, maybe si- single speed champs. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Se- sneaky single speed sneaky champs. Sneaky no single one speed know. champs. Nobody will know. <laughs> no one will know. Have you ever done the single speed champs? I went to watch it last year. Did you? Yeah, yeah. It was because it was at mine and Nick's neck of the woods at right. Landegg last year. So I went to watch it last year, mm. and I could have done it because obviously I could have just taken my axis shifter off the bars. You could have done. So uh, <laughs> I think, oh no, I haven't got a single speed bike. But actually, with axis, it's mm. very very simple to I'll actually take the just, out. Yeah, yeah, just take the battery out or remove the shifter. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, going slightly off on a tangent, like I'm surprised anybody hasn't built a gearbox into an e-bike motor. Maybe one for a Ooh, different podcast. Interesting, interesting. Pattern Patrol. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get on it. I did the 2008 Single Speed UK Champs at Drumland Rig, um, and I won a Genesis IO frame because I pulled my trousers down on stage and, and won one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, that's a story for another day. All right. Um, we'll go for my little selection uh, into our top five tech innovations that transform mountain biking and I'm going to talk about suspension and the development of basically good suspension. I think we can all agree that um, suspension helps you go off-road. It soaks up the bumps from the ground, it helps you go faster, it means you've got better braking, better traction, better control, more comfort. Um, And, you know, I have ridden rigid bikes and I've enjoyed rigid bikes in the past, but I think we can all agree that suspension makes off-road riding a lot better. Good suspension. Good yeah. suspension. Yeah. Having ridden my dad's old Grizzly with a RockShox Indie SL, which had mm. elastomers in them, which basically turned to mush in summer when it was really hot and froze solid in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. Good suspension. It's definitely a vast improvement over the stuff that came, you know, back when I was uh, starting riding. Yeah. Well, so this is, this is my point. So suspension has developed drastically over the years. And we can argue about the introduction of electronics into suspension, but again, that's one for another day, or for Finley's 11 tech innovations, because he put electronics in there, which may be a bit controversial. But yeah, suspension, if we talk about forks, they have developed no end over the past 25-ish years. Um, from the original, was it the RockShox RS1 Rock was one of the OGs? Yeah. Um, and the yeah, early forks used this thing called elastomers, which are basically bits of foam that kind of squashed. Um, but they were very, very uh, influenced by temperature. So when it was cold, they definitely stiffened up. When it was warm, they change their behavior considerably um they needed you could change them you could pop them in and out of your forks and all sorts and then we moved on to i would say the golden years of mazoki open bath never-ending reliability um which i'm sure if they were still relevant with uh, boost spacing and, and tapered steerers and all that sort of jazz they would still be running now very um, very heavy though oh, very heavy but very so smooth very smooth they were yeah. lovely things um 
And then we went through sort of the whole lot of, there was a lot of, there was like a split between whether you go for the coil um, or like early air forks. So obviously air gives you a bit more um, adjustability. It might be a little bit lighter weight. Coil, a bit more supple, a bit heavier. Um, but obviously if you've got air, you need seals and that introduces a bit more friction as well. But now I think we can all largely agree that air suspension systems have largely taken over the market front and back, and they offer all the adjustability, all the tunability, along with really well-developed and high-performing damper systems. So the damper is a bit that controls the movement of the fork, whereas the spring is what provides the spring of the fork. Um, so high and low-speed compression on the top-end forks from you know the likes of Fox, Mizuki, uh, uh, Fox and Rockshox and all the others, and simpler forks are still really good now. Some of my favourite forks, like the Rhythm 36. Yeah, the Rhythm 36 is very good. I think like chassis in general have mm. like massively changed it. So I know the first time I went from like a 32 mil like Fox 32 mm. uh, that had been stretched to 150 and going to the first Pike when it was reintroduced back in 2013, that was like a whole different world. Like, yeah. oh my god, I can actually go where I point the bike now. It's not just this wandering, flexy sort of mess of a front end. Mm. So. And like the Sid as well, like we're both big fans of the new, yep. the new Rockshox Sid. You know, for how light it is, it's crazy what you can get away with on yep. what is effectively an XC race fork, really. Well, even yeah, the Sid SL still has those thirty-two more sanctions than the regular Sid S thirty-five. So, you know, obviously, yeah, stiffness and weight and suppleness and sensitivity and performance is now all present in those forks. When we're looking towards the rear of the bike, obviously there's a whole raft of different suspension systems, so we're not going to go into all of them, but I think we can say the, is it the unified rear triangle URT designs, URTs. they were gladly disappeared into the into the ether. Um, but now we've got everything, you know, horse linkages, which was, that was, that was around early on actually was the horse early link, 90s wasn't it? horse lightener i think it was a uh, horse lightener there you go you've read you've read the article i've read the article <laughs> and memorized it better than i have yeah so your four bars you've got your uh, linkage actuated single pivots you've got dw links you've got all sorts of different things and we got dave weagle we got dave weagle and we've still got single pivots as well mm. Yeah. Um, so there are a whole host of different suspension linkages on the market. There's a big guide on BikeRadar.com which talks you through all of their pros and cons. So if you are looking at different bikes and they have different suspension linkage systems, maybe have a read of that and maybe you'll understand it a little bit better. But I think basically, having ridden a lot of trail bikes in recent months, thanks to our Trail Bike of the Year, there's not many bad things about it anymore when it comes to suspension. No, definitely. I think the preconceptions about like horse links pedaling not particularly well, but really, really good over bumps... You know, like the early Santa Cruz VPP bikes being really pedal efficient, but not being the most sensitive. All that's kind of behind everything mm. now. They're all really, really good. Yeah. Some better than others in some respects, but all of them very good in their own special way. Yeah, definitely. There we go. Well, we muddled through that one. <laughs> Nick, tell us about your second one. My second one, disc brakes. Oh. Uh, so I remember very early on in my riding career, <laughs> probably age about four or five, driving through well, riding through horrible muddy paths and having that horrible squeak on the canties as you go through. Ooh. The bad old days. So I think this break's probably up there for me because I don't think they've revolutionized mountain biking. They've also made big gains on the road pack as well. I mean, I don't know how many of the pedal are actually riding rim brakes anymore. None, I would say. No. Not an awful lot. But Liam Cahill has done an excellent video on rim brake bikes that you can still buy. Oh, Look at the plug. Oh, oh, the plugs. Oh, oh, the plugs in the early. world. It's so bad. But yeah, this but, wasn't even planned. No, it wasn't even planned. No, it was completely spontaneous. <laughs> keep pushing. Yeah, keep. got to push the YouTube channel. Got to push the channel. But yeah, this breaks. Um, I think even 
on the way through, I think even like mechanical disc brakes are so much better than anything else just mm. because it's out of the way of the debris coming through. It just gives you a little bit more modulation as well. Yeah. Um, but again, looking back on it, I couldn't live without disc brakes now. I mean, I've been riding some Shimano disc brakes, which I'm not usually a massive fan of. Okay. Personally, I'm a SRAM man. I like the modulation mm. at the top all the way through the lever. But at the same time, you take anything over the of a rim brake. Yeah, there used to be that classic thing of uh, riding certain areas and you get through a, a set of pads in a ride. Mm. Not even a long ride. No, like, you short know, like, ride. Go on like a hundred mile epic in the middle of the Scottish wilderness in winter and you kind of understand it. But, you know, you get through like a set of pads in one lap of Dolby. Yeah. Oh, same, with, same mechanic. Like my first bike had Dior... They were disc brakes, yeah. but like they had dual mechanical disc brakes, and they just used to you'd go through a set of pads through a single lap of Canon Jace, mm. you know, back in the early two thousands. Mm. You know, so I think pad technology's come a long, long way as well since yeah. then. You know, we've got bigger rotors now than we've ever had before, and free stroke adjusts that actually work. Not pointing any fingers at anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the the modern day disc brake is a wonderful thing. I, I, I'd fully, I fully agree with you on that, Nick. Yeah. But you wouldn't have you wouldn't go for drum brakes on your car, would you? Not out of choice. No. Maybe out of budget. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> even then though. I mean you can find some with discs. My last car didn't. Oh. <laughs> Not even on the front. <laughs> oh, on the front it did, yeah. Uh you know, on the front it did. That was a nut way, it was a, it was an old car. That did a disc on the front and it um Gave a resemblance of safety, but not a huge amount of it. Yeah, it's kind of a dangerous car. Eighty twenty, eighty twenty. As you said, though, there is quite a difference between all the different brake types. So um, there's lots of reviews for brakes on on Bike Radar. Many of them written by me, actually. I've done a lot of brake testing over the past couple of years, and yeah, and they all have very different feels, different features, different prices. Um, but I know you're writing about some uh, new brakes from Clark's at the moment. Yeah, and I've probably described them as very hope-like. So these feature a CNC caliber and a CNC lever, and they look pretty mega, they I'd They do, say. don't they? And they look really good. cheap. And they're pretty cheap. Yeah. For a four-piston brake, you've got, I think, 199. It's four-piston, it's a pair of four-piston yeah, brakes, four brakes with, with rotors, rotors and adapters for 199, and they're floating rotors as well. Mm. Mad. Bargain. They look great as well. But there's only one thing I look at them and I think, trying too much to be hope and trick stuff. As well... May, you know, emulation, you've yeah. got to emulate the best. Well, that's true. The best in inverting commas, depending on what you feel about your brakes and the brake performance. But yeah, the, the levers are very trick stuff and the calipers are very hope with a, a little bit of a throw to a Shimano vented pad in there. Mm. Interesting things. Best of both worlds. I'll be online on Bart Radar as we speak, I think. Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. probably. And if not, very soon. Tom, what's your final choice? My final choice would be tubeless tyres. I think, again, like we've said with disc brakes and suspension, it just made a big change. I remember the first time I ever went to an uplift at Antistiniog, everybody got punctures and mm. I was the only one on a tubeless system. I didn't flat the whole day. So I had to do that awkward thing of looking smug, but also like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. Whoa. Yeah, ru yeah ruin my Just run. do the smug. Just, yeah. just do the smug, yeah, rather than just leaving them there. So, yeah, I mean, I first went to tubeless early 2010s, but they go all the way back to 2000 and 1999 with Mavic and Stan Koziatek, Stan's no tubes fame. Um, but I think they've also led to a big improvement in te tech as well, mm -hmm. like Santa Cruz's new Fillmore valves. Yeah. You know, like we've had the same valve systems for what, a long time. 70, 80 years. Um, and also, if we were still in energy, we wouldn't have tire inserts either. Yeah. So, you know, I think tubeless tech has really sort of pushed everything 
everything forward in terms of rim widths as well. Yeah, tire tech tires are so much better than they were back oh, then as God, well. Yeah. So decent sidewalls, whether you want something nice and stiff or something super supple and light, there's loads of options out there. Tubeless. So obviously there was UST back in the day. Yeah. Well, still it still is UST. Still actually. is yeah. Maverick still I actually UST. think it's a real shame that this hasn't taken up my my beef with tubeless. And you know I ride tubeless on all my bikes, and I think it's brilliant. But my beef is that the air is held in my tire sort of volume by a piece of sellotape wrapped around mm. a rim, and I and I know it kind of works for the most part, but it feels like a bit of a fudge. It does when Mavic have had the UST. fully sealed rim bed, which is U- what UST is yeah. for nearly 25 years now. Yeah. I mean, it is a pain if you have to replace like a spoke or something like that, you know. But I mean, well, I mean, obviously, you, Mavic's wheels, you can replace the spokes without... You can do it without that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is very true. Or just yeah. land your whip straight. Or land your whip straight. Yeah, <laughs> who does that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, UST's yeah, fully sealed... Rim beds. There's been a few people who have done similar things. I think maybe they licensed UST, maybe? I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I think UST was licensed to a few other people. I remember Spank doing something, actually, yeah. where they actually had like almost like an insert built into the rim itself. Oh, so they did the vibracore. Yeah. So they did bars, they did rims. And that was, yeah, like a foam-filled void within the rim um, to sort of help take out the high-frequency buzz that leads to fatigue. Meant to be really good wheels and really good handlebars. Mm. Like, that's sort of one of those innovations that... Maybe it doesn't get talked about much, but everyone who rode a Vibracore bar was like, and I rode them for a bit, they're like, oh boy, like alloy bar that feels as good as carbon as without carbon. being harsh. Yeah. Fantastic things. I remember working in a bike shop and uh, one of my favourite things was demonstrating to customers tubeless tyres. So we had, again, a Mavic with a UST rim. Um, I'd just take a screwdriver out of the workshop and just slam it into the tyre, give it a little bit of a roll. Man, straight away, clogged up like ah. like a horrible cut on a knee. Well, and then flogging the tyre. Uh, yeah, and then flogging the tyre. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, it's fine, yeah. it's fine. Something wrong with this. I remember back in like the early days of tubeless, there was all these... Um, so early days stands was basically a split open inner tube, right? You can yeah. buy the stands, they did a conversion kit, some, you know, Joe's No Flats did similar things and it's basically like a, a butyl strip that you sort of put around the rim and then you mounted the tyre into the into the well within that and that, and that sort of created your tubeless thing. So obviously what lovers did was get a 20-inch inner tube, and, tube. Yeah. or a BMX tube yeah, and, and sort of do a load of ghetto tubeless type things, which to be fair, worked pretty well, but we were doing on 17 mil wide rims, which made everything super pinched. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Those were the days, weren't they? Yeah, I remember Jared Graves using that setup like a lot, like really? early EWS days. Yeah, he still insisted on using that mm. just because he felt it was better. And it does offer a smidge more protection for the rim as well, if you think about it. True. It's not much, but on an EWS run, yeah, 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 yeah. Could, could save your day. Well, so that's quite a bit of innovation, which, yeah, I think Tubeless is a, an erstwhile addition to our yeah. list of uh, five of the bits of tech that have transformed mountain biking. That little pause there was not for dra- dramatic effect. It was so I could scroll my page up so I could remember the title of this podcast. But <laughs> you so thrown together. So there we have um, five of what we would say are the 11 innovations that have transformed mountain biking. Now, at the bottom of that article on Bike Radar, there are some comments. So if you have your own inputs or your own ideas, why not head to Bike Radar and drop some in there? Now, the, one that, the, the comment in there that I really liked, um, and I think... Maybe was missing from R11, so maybe we should have made it 12, was SPD pedals. Now, I'm a 
uh, a dedicated clipless pedal rider. I don't know about you guys. Tom, I think you ride clipless. I, yeah, I'm clips. Yeah. Nick, you're... I used to be clips, but then I couldn't bunny hop or do any tricks properly. Ah, so. so you're back on the world of flats. Back on the flats. But yeah, I think um, pedals and uh, whether it's clipless or flats and sticky soles for your shoes actually maybe do deserve a place in that list too. Yeah, definitely. So I had a set of not original, original 510 impacts, but one of the early ones mm-hmm. that, that 510 did when I was riding flats, you know, sort of back in the day. And yeah, they made a huge difference, mm. you know, from going from like a normal sort of shoe onto something that grippy, you know, I mean, they still make that shoe as well. And it's basically yeah. unchanged, what, 20 odd years. Yeah, yeah I think wow. so. Like the original Sam Hill Impact, yeah, they still do a version Is of that. Is that with the Stealth Sole? With the Stealth Sole. Yeah. Yeah, obviously 510 now are a massive brand. Mm. Uh, you know, they've been branched out into gravel shoes now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those original S1s, like they didn't last particularly long, mm-hmm. but by God, like the grip that you got from those was insane. It was almost like being clipped in, yeah. in a way. Hmm. Just stay clear of marble floors because you'll leave a horrible tacky mess. Is it? Yeah. Ah, also, stay clear of mirrors because they've got a particular aesthetic <laughs> that I'm not a big fan of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the less said about the aesthetic, mm-hmm. the aesthetic choice of those, the better. But yeah, I, personally, I swapped to Clips and I've, I've never looked back. No. Again, that same ride I mentioned before about Stinioc, I had only recently converted to Clips mm-hmm. at that point and took my flats because I'm not a downhill guy. Going to a downhill, you know, sort of center. Took my flats for a feeling of security, and the whole day I just wanted to be on clips. Yeah, it's I, just, I literally couldn't ride. I'd been only on them for two or three months, mm. as opposed to years on flats. I just, I just couldn't ride. It was bizarre, but yeah, I haven't. I don't think I've actually used a set of flat pedals since that day. Every now and again, I jump on a bike that has flats and and have to ride somewhere that isn't to and from the office on it. I, I, I find it terrifying. Oh yeah, absolutely. Terrible. You sort of. I, I did it recently in Italy. I was riding up a hill, and my foot kept popping. Up. I was like, "Hang on a minute, my foot's not on the pedal yeah. anymore. What's going on?" Yeah, that, that I was going up thing. a hill. Yeah, and I value my shins as yeah. well. I just have to look at a set of crow mag daggers, and my my shins just <laughs> hurt. Mm. You look cool on the beach, though. I think, but no, one of those big things I find on flats. Yeah, and the other day I was riding in my full sort of XE small SPDs. Mm. Um, is that fact when you get out the saddle and sometimes your foot slips forward and all of a sudden you're off the bike and you you know you're tripping up? So yeah. I do see the benefit of SPDs, but more on an XE basis. Yeah, I think the bigger platforms help with that though, because that's why I run like yeah. Shimano's trail pedals and recently Cramp Brothers mallets, because it's pretty much impossible to do that kind of thing. Like mm. your really small like XTR race pedals and your your, your Cramp Brothers egg beaters. Yeah, definitely. Done that more than a few times when I tried egg beaters. But yeah, the bigger platforms definitely help with yeah. with that side of things. Well, I think our 30-minute timer has run out. Uh, I've got some copy to go and check. So we will sign off here. So thanks ever so much, uh, Tom and Nick, for your inputs. And as I say, head to bikecredo.com. Have a look at that article and add your own at the bottom in the comments down below. Now, if you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating uh, and email us at podcast at bikeredo.com if you've got any suggestions for future podcasts or any tech Q&A questions on any topic. And I'll drop them into a future episode of our tech Q&As. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. Episode. 